Welcome to Everyday Entrepreneurs Everywhere with your host, Chris Parker. And we are back with Everyday Entrepreneurs Everywhere. This is Chris Parker, and I am with Joe Pine. And Joe Pine, we're going to discover, has impacted, at least in the business world, um, probably some very significant things that you take for granted or know as true. And it all started, at least as far as I can tell, back in 1998. And we'll get to that 1998 moments in the conversation. But Joe, thank you so much for being here. Um, can you can you please? And I'm really curious how you answer this question. Can you can you can you please explain to people, Joe, what do you do and why do you do it? Ah, well, uh, first of all, Chris, it's a pleasure to be with you. I don't know if you know this, but it's almost exactly 10 years since we met uh, in the in the Netherlands. And um, so what? So I basically help companies figure out uh, how they can create greater economic value for their customers. Uh, well, greater economic value for their company so that would be through creating greater value for their customers. Now, I always say my purpose in business is to um, um, develop frameworks to first describe what's happening in the world of business and then prescribe what companies can, uh, can do about it. And I did that first with mass customization, you know, long before the experience economy, then with the experience economy, and uh, also with uh, books on authenticity and how to, um, how to fuse the real and the virtual, a book called Infinite Possibility that I know you know very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and then with other ideas uh, bubbling up, that's all part of, you know, you know the uh, Marvel talks about its cinematic universe. So now I'm, I'm talking about, you know, my thought universe or all these different parts of it that, that come together in, in um, uh, collaboration with, you know, with other people. And uh, so it's an exciting time right now. And why, for you as a human, do you spend time on these things? These, these, these I guess, yeah, deconstructing and, and, and prescribing. What, what motivates you? Well, it's, it's fun, <laughs> number one, to figure things out. Uh, it's intellectually stimulating. Uh, and particularly that's, I was, I was telling somebody this the other day, you know, that I actually have an applied mathematics degree. And the only thing I really kept from that is, is pattern recognition and model making. Right. And it's, it's not something I can, I can't, I can't actually turn it off, even if I wanted to at this point, maybe I could have, you know, 25, 30 years ago, but I can't turn it off anymore. Is that I just, uh, my mind just seeks out patterns and what I'm, what I'm uh, doing, including uh, patterns that are a data point of one, you know, I don't need, I don't like two to make a pattern. I can see something that is just so unique and different. You can see, and then where you can see how that would then apply in many other situations, say, okay, that's something significant, even though, you know, there's only one mm. data point really for that. And then, and then my mind works in frameworks. I was, uh, work with, uh, uh, colleagues at a company called Stone Mantle, you know, consumer insights consultancy. And we were working a number of years ago with a, uh, broadcast company, right? So this is a, a TV broadcaster, you know, even though we talked about the fact that, you know, it's, it's, it's splitting up and broadcasting as a, you know, a dying model. Uh, you know, they sort of recognize, yeah, we know that, but this is, this is, that's our job here, right? Somebody else is going to go hopefully create innovation and do all this other stuff. But our job is to do as well as we can with what we have. And uh, we had this board up there and he had all these different um, um, uh, cells basically in this matrix up there. And, and, uh, you know, I'm just sort of sitting in the back going like this, just sort of watching what's going on. And, 
And finally, my colleague, Dave Norton, he says, uh, he says, and I'm sure Joe's already developed a framework to, to make sense of all this. And I went, oh, <laughs> I'm on. I got to think, right? And within five ma- minutes, I had a two-by-two framework that really did make sense of all that was going on. And later in that session, I actually developed another one that's one of the ideas that's percolating and working on uh, that, I, that I love. Um, and it's just so it just comes naturally. And then, and of course, there's a reason of, you know, this is how I make money. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what I do for a living uh, is um, uh, everything I do is basically frameworks based. It's, and the frameworks help. You know, my, my goal is to, is to um, make it so obvious, you know, with the, with the framework and how I develop and present it that you can't help but say, ah, you know, yeah, I see that, right? That's the goal is get people to see what's going on. I always say I'm not a futurist. I don't tell you what's going to happen. I'm telling you what's happening now, but you don't yet see it. And now once you see it, you can't unsee it. And then you can, you can use that new insight to be able to, to make a difference in your business. And um, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And, and uh, you know, as you know, I'm, I'm in the film industry as, as, you know, part of my life. and Amongst many other things. Amongst many other things. Um, and now that I have a, a working understanding of how film is made, I really can't unsee that. So, so it actually takes a really good film to get me into it. And because, because some of these things you can't unsee. So right. I'm curious. I have, I, have, I, have, I have the same disease. I can't experience something right, right without analyzing it. Right. And you're the same way now. It's a, a film has to be really good is what I've gathered in order to draw you in enough that you forget about the analysis of what's going on and how they're doing things. And you're just immersed in it. And also uh, learning the, these, these principles and frameworks that you've shared, you know, like the progression of economic value and, the, you know, based on the experience economy thinking, it also helped me cope and survive in the Netherlands as an American, a service-oriented American, you know, having in my youth worked for, at Nordstrom, you know, you know, known for its customer service and, you know, Apple and university also not, not you know, um, that being able to deconstruct the customer experience or the, or the experience that I was going through and then be able to understand sort of some of the whys and hows behind how they were solving the problems was actually pretty ther- therapeutic for me because I used to rage as, as a typical American abroad, like, oh, the service here sucks. And yeah. um, actually, it gave me a framework just to appreciate that, no, it's different. Um, I, think, I think that might be a good chance to, to talk about trees planted in rows, which we've already spoken about. <laughs> before and I, and I believe that came up in the authenticity book yes um can you tell that story a little bit um as far as yes, how- you know, i don't tell those often so yeah. still remember all the details but yeah. when uh you know when when the book first came out in 1999 right the experience economy the first edition we're now on the third edition this year re-release of it but the first edition came out is i became a visiting professor at the university of amsterdam and started traveling over there a lot and, uh, you know, I've, I've told people I'm, you know, I'm much more famous in the Netherlands than I am in, in the U.S. And, uh, and one of the, when I talk on the experience economy, there is always one question that would come up and from my Dutch audiences. And it was really less a question than an accusation. Uh, you know, it always began with these two words, right? You Americans. <laughs> yeah. It's a you Americans. You like your Disneyland, your fantasy, your your inauthentic experience. We Dutch, you know, we like our authentic, our natural, our real experiences. You know, this 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 huge difference, right? And uh, you know, it sort of took me aback a little bit, and, and but it really was you know one of the 
uh, genesis, if that's you can use that term, one, one of, of the book Authenticity, is being faced with having to answer this question and, and so forth. And, and so I, you know, I eventually did develop a practice response to it and talked about the fact that, uh, first of all, uh, experiences happen inside of us. Right? So our reaction to the events that are staged in front of us. So, so in at least one sense, we cannot have an inauthentic experience because it's, in, it's who we are, right? Mm-hmm. It's just necessarily part, the experiences are part and parcel of, of, of who we are. Um, you know, so as long as we are real, then the experiences we have are real. And there may be some people you're, you're not sure about and so forth. Now, the stimuli for that experience may be more or less natural, more or less um, artificial, more or less authentic, more or less inauthentic. And, and, and that's really what you're talking about is the stimuli uh, of it. And, um, and then I say, you know, it's a particularly interesting question from, uh, from a country like the Netherlands, which is every bit as manufactured as Disneyland is. Right, that there, there's, there's an area, a square meter of ground in the whole country that hasn't been reclaimed from the sea or otherwise moved, modified, and manicured to look as if it had always been there. Mm-hmm. And that's where the, the kicker is. And I say, it's the only place I've ever been in the world where I go for a walk in the woods and all the trees are lined up in rows. <laughs> yeah, and they, and, and they are literally in rows in some places. And, it's, and when yes. you're driving by in the freeway and you see this, you're like, right, right. Exactly. this is not natural. And, <laughs> that, is, that is not natural. All right? it's a, but, but what it does is it speaks to the desire for authenticity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can speak about the desire to be not like Americans too, but it's the desire of authenticity that in fact people the world over, over have. You know, again, to, to a greater or lesser degree, but people um, increasingly want experiences that are that they perceive as authentic, that are authentic to them, and so that and that's the basic case of that book is that authenticity has become the new consumer sensibility, you know, the primary buying criterion by which people choose who to buy from and what to buy, and and yeah. again, the world over, they don't want to buy the fake from the phony; they want the real from the genuine even though yeah. they have different ideas of what that is. And, and, and that's all, I think, a matter of perspective. As you said, the, you know, the experience is an internal one. As a Disney fan, um, I find it completely authentically Disney. Yeah. As a Starbucks Absolutely. fan, I think it completely authentically Starbucks. But many of my Dutch friends are not so enamored. Right. Um, there you go. So it's, uh, <laughs> I love it. So I'm, I'm curious, Joe, um, going down a little rabbit hole that I've, I've never gone with you before is there is a huge rage in the world about purpose and purpose-based strategy. Um, and that has to touch with authenticity. How, how are you, I'm sure you have connected these things, but what is your, what is your framework or mental model for purpose-driven strategies? Yeah. So a number of things is one, um, we talk about five genres of authenticity in the book. I won't go through the details, but natural, original, exceptional, referential, and influential. And influential authenticity uh, does, in fact, relate to purpose. That consumers will view something as authentic if it influences them, if it calls them to, to a higher level of being and so forth. And that only happens when there is a, a purpose there. We also then talk about 10 uh, elements of authenticity. Five, there's two key standards, being true to self and being what you say you are. And then each of them have five elements that answer the questions who, what, where, and when, why, and how. And, um, and one of those on the business, on the, on the, what you, um, uh, who you are at your core is your, um, is your purpose, right? What is your purpose? Why it's, why do you exist in business beyond making a buck? And so it is one of those things that if you want to truly be perceived as real, real, right, as real in both those key standards, 
then you need to have a meaningful purpose that that you understand and that you obviously therefore stay true to, right? That's the key is you got to stay true to that purpose. Then there's a connection to all the experience accounting work. Uh, we talk we talk in, in the book, and again, I'm, I'm using shorthand, that, mm-hmm. that, that doing this stuff quickly, so people have to go look for the details that they want. But we talk about when you stage experiences, work is theater, and therefore workers are actors. And one of the key things to understand then is your intention of acting, your intention, which is, which is not what you do, but how you go about doing it, right? You're doing this task in order to your, your intention. And, and we also then talk about the overarching theme of the experience, that every great experience needs to have a theme. It's the organizing principle of the experience. It doesn't have to be fantasy like Disney World. It doesn't have to be in your face like a theme restaurant. It simply has to underline and allow everything to align together, which is a key thing with intention and purpose. Mm-hmm. So it's got to align together. Well, you know, so I recognized early on that, that theme and acting intention are different levels of the same thing, right? It's your, it, it's, it's your intention. And uh, it's your intention for the entire experience or it's your intention for this moment in this experience about what I'm doing. Well, then eventually I recognized um, that the purpose is, 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 is just taking that up another level. I worked with a number of companies, particularly hospitals, but others, um, and really uh, defining what their theme is and, 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 and through this company called Storizen, helping them create a great new experience. And, for, and often, particularly with hospitals, again, it was the entire organization. The theme fit the entire organization, the customer experience, the employee experience, everything. And once you get to that level, you recognize, well, this is no longer just a theme. This is a purpose. It's a meaningful purpose for the organization. I've worked with other companies, including technology companies, in, in coming up with that, with that theme. So there's this, there's this, you know, think of it as concentric circles that work your way out from the acting intention to the theme of ex- the experience. You think about your strategic intention in a Hamel and Prahalad sense and then your meaningful purpose. And then one more connection in this universe of thought is I'm working with a colleague, uh, Kim Korn, who helped me write my book, Infinite Possibility, on developing his ideas on how companies can thrive forever. You know, why do companies always have to fall into mediocrity and eventually fail? Why can't they thrive forever? And, and so he's developed a, a really great construct on, on what that is, including seven imperatives, right? You got to do these seven things really well, including, you know, innovating greater, uh, at a greater level than your ecosystem. Otherwise, eventually the ecosystem is going to swamp you. You've got to unleash the capabilities of your people, you know, and, and, and so forth. Well, one of those seven and one of them, probably the core one, is you got to have a meaningful purpose again. Hmm. If you don't have a meaningful purpose, then you fall into the command and control sort of ways of operating that, that, that is the death of, of, of thriving, uh, that, that, is, that forces you to do optimization instead of vitalization, instead of regenerate. So to regenerate, you need to regenerate around a, a purpose. I love, I love the, the, the vitalization versus optimization. Um. Like many things you say, I'm, I'm going to steal that. Hope you don't mind. No, not, not at all. <laughs> Kim might mind, but I don't care. Okay, well, <laughs> uh, thank you, Kim. Um, the the um, I'm, I'm, um, Ryanair is yeah. is uh, a fun example to kick around because they I, I like using them as an example that a a good experience or like a well designed experience doesn't necessarily have to be a good service, um, and and you know because they. I think more recently they've said, oh, wait, we should take care of our customers. So I think they've changed their tune a bit. But, um, um, it, you know, 
their per they didn't have a greater purpose other than to just provide dirt cheap travel and do it in a way that that had no frills and they were just very bold and 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 if you ask me very pure and authentic about it wasn't for me but i found it very charming right there's nothing wrong with it right there's nothing wrong with it if that's who you are that's what you want to be that's absolutely fine there and obviously every customer that 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 took a uh, trip on them. I've never done it myself. I've done like easy air is the closest I've come. Mm. But, um, but every person that took that trip, you know, made that calculation that the mm -hmm. cheapness of this flight is worth the crap I'm to put up with. Yeah. Right. And I'm going on vacation, I'm going to a, you know, a football game, and I'm going to drink with my buddies. And therefore, by the time I get done, guess what, I'm not going to remember that flight, much less care about it. <laughs> yeah, so it's, um, and, and related to, to Ryanair, you, you mentioned um, the customer experience and the employee experience, and you've been publishing recently about the employee experience. And it really resonates that this sort of, you know, purpose-driven, authentic sense of togetherness needs to be able to be driven through the employees in order, in order to actually deliver that to the customers. I think it's the basic gist of it all. Is, that, yeah, is, like there, is there a, a different... Really digital experience, like a streaming, yeah. you know, service, video games, et cetera, yeah. Yeah, is there, is there, um, you know, for the for the listeners out there, um, based on the hospital work you did, is there a, what, different ways of crafting or staging those experiences for the employees and the customers, or is that one and the same, or how would they put those things together? Well, it, for with the, with the work with the hospitals, we almost always did the same theme, the same purpose, organizing principle for both customers and employees which allowed the employees to, to, one, receive it basically for management, right? That we management are responsible for providing this great experience for you. And, and it's aligned with what we want you to do with your employees. So you're modeling that behavior, you're seeing the effects of it, and it makes it much easier to do it. And, and obviously easier to remember and to, and, to, and to bring it all together. It's certainly possible to have two different organizing principles for the employee experience versus the experience you create for your uh, customers but it does work well when you do that. And obviously you have to then think, you have to think ahead of time what that is and know that mm. this has got to, got to um, um, cover both and not just be so customer oriented that it, that it only fits with them. Yeah. Well, and, and I guess if we're going for authenticity, you know, if, if, you know, if you, if you state a certain purpose, objective values for the customers, and then if you treat your employees completely the opposite, right. it's not going to work, you know, right. at, at least not for long. So, well, what, um, you know, companies, companies actually corrode, an authenticity terms, companies corrode from the inside out, right? Mm -hmm. It's when their management does not do what they say they want you to do, does not think in the same way they say they want you to think in treating customers that that, and, and, and themselves, right? Then that's when they start to corrode and the employees no longer care about what they do for customers. And then you're basically in a degenerating business. And you're done. So, um, Joe, as people can experience you here, you know, you are literally world famous, you know, multiple, um, you know, books under your belt and, and have, have presented all over the world and yet are very approachable, which I very, very much appreciate. What is the, what kind of, who's your customer? You know, cause you're, you're, you're very busy working with some of the, you know, larger organizations in the world, as well as I think not so large organizations, but how would you describe the, the, the organization, which is, is perfect for strategic horizons to, to really get value from? Well, you know, I think my bio says something to the effect of that I work with Fortune 500 companies and entrepreneurial startups alike, mm -hmm. to which you could add actually individual people, 
you know, particularly with our experienced accounting expert certification course, we now have, we just did two virtual ones for the first time in the last six weeks. And, um, and about, as we have almost 300 certified experienced accounting experts in the world, a number in the Netherlands. And uh, a number of those are individual people that basically paid out of their own pocket this huge fee to do, to go through this course. And it's the highest praise I think I get. Far more than if some, you know, Fortune 500 company has paid me hundreds of thousands of dollars to work with them over years, you know, uh, that, that somebody paid this much money out of their pocket because they wanted that time with me and they wanted that learning hmm. and then wanted to apply it. And so it's basically the, the, best comp, the best clients for me are those that want to apply, right? Where it's not just a one and done speech and I'm there to, to hopefully get them to think differently, but I don't know much of what happens, but it's ones where we can you know, roll up our sleeves, we can get into workshop mode, we can, we can think about how do these frameworks really make a difference? What are the things you really ought to be doing differently and how can I help um, uh, as, as you go along to review your plans and your stat- strategies and so forth. Now, one of the things we don't do as a small three-person company is projects, right? We don't do projects. That's why I partner with Stone Mantle, with Verizon, with others, uh, often some of the biggest consulting companies out there bring me in where they're doing the projects and they slot me into what I can do, which is, which is fine as well. But it's people that really recognize that value in creating that great authentic experience for their customers. And I guess that person has to be somewhat, the word I want to use is somewhat enlightened or open to it or else they wouldn't be coming to it because I'm not exactly. sure. I'm not sure if people can be converted to this kind of thinking. Uh, you know, I don't know. Do you have converts? No, 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 absolutely they can't. I mean, that's, yeah. so on the, on the back of my business cards, I hardly ever give them out anymore, but on the back of my business cards, it's got this little tagline that says helping executives see the world differently. So that seeing the world, absolutely, you can convert them to see the world differently. Again, that's what the frameworks do, where you see it and then you can't unsee it. Um, but it doesn't mean it always rises to the level of really making a difference in their company or that they talk about it but don't really do it or they work in things around the edges without understanding how it can really make a core difference in what they do and what business they're really in and the economic value that they create. But generally, if a company of any size is contacting me, there's, there's at least one person there that, that gets it, right, and understands mm-hmm. it. And they want me to come in to be able to make the case for the rest of the team so that they get it, and therefore they can um, um, begin uh, being that difference in the company. Mm-hmm. What would be some clues that, you know, if an executive or senior manager or anyone's walking around their company and they smell something bad and they think that maybe Joe Pine and, and Strategic Horizons could, could be a cure for that. What, what, are, what are some clues that things are a bit wonky? You know, dissatisfied customers, dissatisfied employees? Is it, is it just something, an itch that, that, that you, I, you know, we're, 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 we're being commoditized? Um, right. Well, that's, I mean, that's the word I often use is that when you recognize you're being commoditized. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is that you no longer really have a differentiation. So you're smelling the same as everybody else would be the way to put that in <laughs> smell terms there. Okay. Uh, if you feel like you're smelling the pretty much the same as everybody else, when you, and then when you recognize that there's a disconnect between how the top people, whatever level you're at, but how the top people view the business and how the people down in the trenches view the business. And there's often that um, you know, data about how, you know, CEOs will think they're, they're, you know, like their NPS score is like 80% and then, and then it's really down at 10 or 20 or not 80%, but 80 and then down yeah. at 10 or 20. 
uh, is where it really is. And the, and the people at the bottom, they know that, right? Because they're there working with them. And, and they, there is that disconnect. You know, the emperor has no clothes. The, the, there's not listening to what's going on. It is crucial for, for um, executives at, you know, at almost any level to, to be in the shoes of both their c- customers at various points in the year, as well as their employees and understand what's going on and seeing it from that perspective. You remind me of uh, when I got my uh, master's at MIT years ago. That's what got me into this business. I did my thesis on mass customization and turned it into a book. And one of the people uh, that I was with, uh, who's actually now a good friend of mine still to this day, uh, is, uh, was an executive with GM, General Motors. Right. And uh, he volunteered. We had like four people that are on the suburbs and everybody else was like in close to Cambridge, Massachusetts. And he volunteered. I'll drive every day. I got a company car. Right. So, OK, you like to drive company car. I could read while he's driving. I could get homework done and, and he's driving. So it's fine with me. And uh, at one point, you know, sort of asked him, like, I think it was he was due for a new one. Like, well, how does this work? And he says, oh, you know, it's like I basically I get this form in the mail. And it has the list of all these cars. I check off the car I want to what option is. And then I, I uh, drop the form off and, and, um, and then my keys with the secretary. And then, you know, at the beginning of the day, when I come back of the day, there's new keys that they give me. And I go out and they tell me where the car is parked. And I go out and, and, and got a new car. And I said, that's what's wrong with General Motors. <laughs> you never get to experience what your customers actually have to go through on your crappy Ooh. distribution to buy a car. Right, you need to be out there and experience it. Yeah, it's that's so telling. I, I um, really make it a purpose that whatever I'm doing, any type of consulting or advisory. Uh, for example, you know, I'm, I'm working with a shoe brand here in the Netherlands, uh, a fashion brand, and um, you know, the, the question is around technology and digital. And, and the first thing I, I said is, well, I, I need to go find out who's buying these shoes. You know, so let me go talk to the, you know, let me go out there and, and these small retailers, you know, how, how do they re- reorder shoes and who's, who are actually the customers there? And, okay. There's a brand store. Okay. What's going on there? And let, you know, let me see the digital experience and, and just to go feel all that stuff to find out, you know, what is exactly that we're, that we're trying to fix. And that was enlightening. And I took a number of videos and brought it back and it was enlightening for management as well. <laughs> Um, Which shouldn't be though, but it is. Yeah. Well, I I think, you know, uh, you know, if you're an organization, unless, unless you have somehow been reminded by you or, or someone like you, um, and and, yeah, then, then maybe they just get busy with, with, um, you know, the operation too much, or I'm curious what your reaction to this is, or they've hired a customer experience head. (laughs) That person is responsible to, deal with the customer experience. And, and so I don't right. have to worry about it. Right. So that, that's, that's a very interesting point. It certainly could be. I mean, I'm, pro- I'm proponent of the chief experience officer uh, because many companies need that focus, but it's like, it's like everything else. Just because a CEO is a chief financial officer doesn't mean he doesn't need to know the numbers and how the, the business model works. Just because mm-hmm. it has a chief operating officer doesn't mean he know how operations go Just and, and so on and so forth. Right? He, he needs to understand the entire part of the business. And a CXO that doesn't like make sure that happens, right, isn't doing you know, his or her job uh, either. Yeah, that resonates with me. And, and I'm just curious, how do you, you know, uh, you know sorry to say it, you're, you're essentially the godfather, you and Mr. Gilmore of, um, you know, the experience economy. And then there's whole wave of customer experience 
has has <laughs> erupted, you know, on on the coattails. Um, how do you feel about that? What 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 is the the reaction? Well, in, in my in my in my um, um, lesser moments, I, I view it as the bastardization of the whole concept. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, but I also recognize the value it creates. Here, but here's the issue. When most people use the term customer experience, and, and you could go back and, and re-listen to this or re-watch it, you'll notice that you said customer experience a few times, and I always said experience of your customers or stating yeah. experiences for your customers. I never use the term. And it's because of the fact that when most people use the term, what they mean is let's make our, our interactions with our customers nice and easy and convenient. Hmm. And, the, and the big word now in the last three or four years has come out is frictionless. Let's make our interactions with customers frictionless. We want friction in there. Well, guess what? Friction is where experience happens. Right. Where real, true, distinctive experience happens. Nice, easy, convenient are all service characteristics. They will never get you to rise to the level of an experience. And this is where I'm talking that as we, as the basic thesis of the book, that, that experiences are a distinct economic offering. They're not just better services. They're not just quality services. They're not just nice, easy, convenient services. They are distinct. And, and nice is nice, but rarely does it rise to the level of memorability. Right. And a, a true distinct experience needs to have that residue of the memory of somebody. If they, frictionless means they're not going to remember. There's no reason to remember it. Uh, if it's easy, often that means let's routinize things to make it easy for employees to give them that frictionless uh, uh, service. But, uh, but experiences, in fact, are, are um, inherently personal. And we need to recognize the individuality of each person, create that experience inside of them, which routinization, standardization, you know, gets so much in the way of. And convenience is the antithesis of what I'm talking about. Convenience is um, let's get in and out as quickly as possible. Let's spend as little time with the customers as possible. Again, frictionless. But in fact, experiences are about the time customers spend with you. Mm-hmm. And that they actually value that time, and uh, and 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 you know the basic formulation I've come up with is that uh, is that services, i.e., CX, is time well saved, right? Nice, easy, convenient, frictionless. Experiences are time well spent. Hmm. People value the time they spend with you. Think about you know economically, anything you charge admission for is an experience, right? Well, you don't want a frictionless movie a frictionless concert, you don't want a nice, easy and convenient play or a sporting event, right? It's friction that creates drama. And it's the time that what experiences are is the design of time. You need to design the time in a way that rises up to a climax and and comes back down again, basic, basic theater point again. I love, I love it. And, and this is actually written also in the article that I, that I looked up from 1998, you know, the, 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 they kicked it off even fo- before the book. And so I don't remember that. Well, this before the customer experience term. It was definitely before the customer experience <laughs> and, and, and the experience of the customer's time well spent. I'm, 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 I'm yeah, um, I, I really appreciate it. Uh, you said earlier that you have some things percolating around the corner and, you know, coming down the pipe in your head. Is, is there, can you give a, a glimpse of what patterns sure. you're seeing in the, in the world today that are meaningful for us? One is the stuff I talked about uh, with my colleague, Kim Corn, and how companies can thrive forever, which, which he labels as regenerative managing. And mm. how do you manage in a way that regenerates a new advantage of the company over and over and over again? And uh, so he's been working diligently on that, and, and now we're writing on that. Um, and uh, so that will be coming out. And then uh, there's a number of other ideas I think are very important. And one 
is looking at the rise of smart products. You know, that, that we increasingly have these smart products around the, the, the thermostats that automatically adjust to, to um, how you actually live when you're gone and when you're there, the, the um, uh, doorbells that have, have uh, uh, cameras can actually warn you when somebody's out there or, or now can, you know, if you're not home, can, you know, send you a picture of wherever it is that's out there and, mm-hmm. and so forth. And, uh, you know, there's all these smart products, but the opposite of that, of course, is dumb products, right? Products that have no intelligence in them, they can't sense and respond to you and, and your needs. And it, with the rise of smart products, you know, that we clearly see those dumb products and how, how dumb they really are. You know, if you've ever, ever uh, walked up to a, a door that you assume is automatic and, and, and doesn't yeah. open for it, you run into it, right? I've done that. Uh, or, uh, or you put your hands in front of, uh, of, uh, of the faucet in a, in, a, in a public toilet and no water comes out. It's like, well, I was expecting this to be smart. And today's world, that's one of the things we're going to have to do, right? Where we don't want to touch things. Being smart is a way to get to touchless uh, activity. And so that's going to be endemic. But there's some things that, that are so dumb, they actually are stupid, <laughs> And I think about, you know, in, in okay. today's world, you know, you, where you, you're driving your car and you come up to a stoplight and, and, and you stop and no car goes across for 60 seconds, right, until it finally turns green again and you can go, right? Just wasted the earth's resources just sitting there because it's not smart enough to know the actual traffic patterns and so forth. Um, you know, many other examples like that are you, you know, a more human example, right? You call up a, you call up a contact center. And uh, first of all, they're not smart enough to recognize your phone number, right? Even though it's in their records and be yeah. able to say, ah, welcome, Mr. Pine. Uh, then it, 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 it then ask you for your account number. So you dutifully, you know, look up your account number. What is that? You put your account number in and then you wait on hold or you go through the various permutations of, of them trying to slow you down so you don't bother their contact center representatives. And maybe, maybe in fact, you'll just get tired and go away. Well, finally, you get to, to a real human being. And, and I, authenticity point, I can remember when we didn't have to, to preface human being with the word real, but you get to a real human being. And what's the first thing they ask you for? Yeah. Your account number. Account number, yeah. <laughs> right? Who are you? You're like, wait. Right, what? because I said, well, I already gave that in. What's going? That's stupid, right? Even though they got this intelligence to mm-hmm. figure it out, the guys tell us to ask for it, but then they don't even remember it you know, over the course of a single phone call, right? So that's just stupid. So to counteract the stupid, the dumb, and even go beyond the smart, what one of the things that's happening is, is the rise of genius platforms, right? So from smart to genius. Genius mm. platforms are like Alexa, uh, Amazon's Alexa, like Google's Assistant, like other platforms that not just sense and respond, but anticipate what it is that you, that you want and need, that can vastly multiply the jobs that they can do for you with, with Alexa, for example, being able to, if not now shortly, hundreds of millions of different things. Imagine that. One device. I can do hundreds of millions of different things right, for it. That's genius. Now, and then uh, Amazon actually just announced in the last week a little tiny drone right, that whenever there's movement will fly around your home and take pictures of things and so mm-hmm. forth. Right, in case you're out of town, you, you see what, you've got an intruder in that. But also you think about all the data that's going there. Well, what, what genius platforms do and we can, we can talk about where you want to limit how much data they actually get and mm-hmm. so forth, I mean, obviously. But uh, the do they take all that data exhaust and use it to understand you better, better, and better. 
right? To be able to, to again, anticipate your needs, do multiple things for you, and in effect, give you superpowers, right? Do you ever remember the first time you called an Uber, right? I pulled out my phone and I hit a button and I summoned a car to me, right? It's like, wow, yeah. right? Now you, you get used to that and so forth. But being able to do anything, right? Summon anything to you is, is a superpower that Genius Platforms uh, can give us. So I think that's one of the key things. I would suppose a a, um, a a continuation of that is is the genius platform will start interpreting your intentions and desires and, yep. and offering those things up if you give it certain permissions and things like that. So, right. no, I'd say and eventually, I, eventually it will uh, lock you into your bedroom and not allow you out because you're you're an unsafe person and. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is an end to this and, and <laughs> that's it's right told in many, i know some of your your listeners are going there so many many a movie yeah so it, no the, the the genius platform is is incredible and i am spending time with conversational ai uh, systems and architectures part of the open voice network um which yeah. has i've got uh, a guy who's working on turning reading all of my books and articles and turning me into an ai avatar that you can converse with and along that subject. And I, you know, all these things I've told you, right. It, eventually, you know, in five years from now, you could talk to my avatar. So oh, I'm busy that day, Chris, could you interview my avatar? Right. <laughs> wait, wait, wait a second. How, how do I know you're actually you? <laughs> You'll never know. <laughs> so Joe, big on that note, um, this has been delightful. I will find the link to the certification course, which is I'm sure on your website on strategichorizons.com. Um, if you're looking for Joe, you can find him there at the website or uh, also on, on LinkedIn. Um, I'll, there's a couple. I'll also post the original Harvard Business Review article, which um, certainly had a meaningful impact on, on my personal and professional life. And I really thank you for, for sharing that knowledge, um, as well as some links to some of the, the books, um, as well as the recent article um, published by RightPoint about the uh, employee experience. So there's, there's quite okay. a few things out there. Um, and, and Joe, thank you so much. And I hope, you know, for the listeners that, that this is really just a scratch to the surface and, and, you know, there's many depths more on each of these things in the book. So please, uh, um, you know, follow those links and, and go pick that stuff because it's delightful reading and, and challenging. It'll challenging your, your worldview. I think, as you said, you can't unsee it. Right. So I guess proceed with caution people. So Joe, thank you so much. Well, thanks, Chris, for the opportunity. Thanks for your friendship and thanks for your promotion. Learn more at ebillion.com slash podcast. 